we saw in 15. So, last week we were in Deuteronomy 15. But before we get started, let's take a moment, let's pray together. And then we will jump in. Father, we thank you for your word and uh, the holiness uh, that surrounds it. It's amazing that you are conveying your thoughts to us. Help us to uh, divide it rightly. Give us wisdom to understand and strengthen uh, the depth of our knowledge of you. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. So we have moved into chapter 15. And what's interesting about chapter 15 is you may have a heading above um, the text there, verse 1. It says something like the sabbatical year, something of that nature. Does anybody have something different besides the sabbatical year? I have the year for canceling debts. The year for canceling debts. That's, oh, amen. Yeah, that, exactly. That's, and you know what? That's probably a much better way to understand what that concept is. Absolutely. And so last week we looked at what it was for every seven years. There was a situation where, regardless of what you were owed by someone, everything was put on the level. Uh, and it, and it's, it wasn't just um, a forgiveness of any debt or somebody that might owe you or something like that. It was the idea that you were supposed to ensure the prosperity of the person who owed you after forgiving them. So it wasn't just a let's level all accounts. It was the idea of giving them enough to be prosperous moving forward, which is a perfect illustration of what grace is. We want to talk about what the idea of mercy is. Mercy is a settling of all accounts, that you're not getting what you deserve, okay? And that puts the playing field level. Grace is that you're getting the exact opposite of what you deserve, and that's a whole other ballgame. So we're not just talking about subtraction, we're talking about addition as well. So what I want to do is I want to read chapter 15. We're going to read through verses 1 through 11. Hopefully I will give very minimal comment, and then we will pick up in verse 12, so... Let me get a drink real quick. For some reason, my throat's killing me. <coughs> All right. It says, At the end of every seven years, you shall grant a remission of debts. This is the manner of remission. Every creditor shall release what he has loaned to his neighbor. He shall not exact it of his neighbor and his brother because the Lord's remission has been Proclaimed. So in other words, this eliminates any sense of long-term debt that would go on in a society of people. Verse 3, from a foreigner you may exact it, but your hand shall release whatever of yours is with your brother or your fellow Jew. It says here, verse 4, however, there will be no poor among you since Yahweh will surely bless you in the land which Yahweh your Elohim is giving you as an inheritance to possess if and i want you to pay attention to that that's so important if it's a condition there's a contingency in play if only you listen obediently to the voice of yahweh your elohim to observe carefully all this commandment which i am commanding you (coughs) excuse me today now let me touch on this for just a second remember the abrahamic covenant that God made in Genesis 12 and and probably more fully understood in Genesis 15 that God made with Abraham was of an unconditional nature. That regardless of what happened in Abraham's life, the choices that he made, whatever it was, it was the promise of God that showed through, through the whole thing. The contract that is made or the covenant that is made with Moses, the Mosaic covenant, 
is the idea of a conditional contract. It is not unconditional. And the idea is an if-then. If you will obey me, then I will protect you. And if one party does not uphold their end of the deal, then the, then God is not obligated to uphold his end. And since he is perfect, he will always uphold his end whenever the unconditional covenant is in play because of the obedience of the people. So notice, that's why that if there is such a big deal, the condition here. If they will obey, if they will listen obediently to the Lord, carefully observe what they've been told there, then he will bless them and there will be no poor in the land. Now notice, all of this is a strange economic policy because it is contingent upon the blessing of the Lord being a reality. This is why it would never work in America. You know, well, how are you going to guarantee this with gold? No, with the blessing of the Lord. <laughs> and everybody laugh at your economic policy that you want to produce. So that's going to be the problem that the world would have with this. Verse 6, for Yahweh your Elohim will bless you as he has, notice this, promised you. In other words, he will be faithful to his word. And you will lend to many nations, to Gentiles, but you will not borrow. You are not to be in debt to any of the nations. And you will rule over many nations, the Gentiles, but they will not rule over you. The Gentiles are not to rule over Israel. In fact, we would say that Gentiles ruling over Israel is an evidence that they are not in compliance with the conditional covenant. So anytime we've seen that happen in history... <coughs> It's because they have been in unbelief regarding the promises that God has made to them in some way. Verse 7, if there's a poor man with you, one of your brothers, one of your fellow Jews, in any of your towns, in your land, which Yahweh your Elohim is giving you, you shall not harden your heart nor close your hand from your poor brother, but you shall freely open your hand to him and shall generously lend him sufficient for his need in whatever he lacks. Does everybody see that this is exacting? Yes, but the idea is there is a specific expectation that is put forward to a person when they are asked because of someone is in need. And one thing that we talked about last week that I think is important is, remember, it's not one, two, three, four, five, six. It's not simply that Moses is talking to six people. Remember, he's talking to an entire nation of people about how to handle the poor in their community. And when you've got everybody that's involved in obeying, giving them what is sufficient, the fact that they're being generous in what they've done and they're loving on their brother to ensure their betterment, you don't have stressors on an economy. You just don't. Everybody's pitching in and doing their thing. Now, is this communism? No. Anybody know why this is not communism? Open your hand freely. Open your hand freely. Notice it's not you will open your hand because God will coerce you to do so and you have no choice. That's not how that works. This is a choice someone can make. This is personal responsibility. Now you might say, but wait a second. If they don't obey, they won't be blessed. Exactly. That's the reward on the other end. If you want the blessing of God, you obey the things that he says the way that he says it. There's no coercion in that. How do we know that? Because we often do things that negate the blessing of God in our life. And when we do that, we're missing out on the blessing. No one to blame but us. But he gives us a choice to make that. You see what I'm saying? It may be a bad choice, but it's still a free choice to make that. He tells us the consequences up front. So, verse 9, beware. That, and this is great because, man, it really strikes at the attitude of a shrewd businessman. Beware that there's no base thought in your heart saying, 
The seventh year, the year of remission is near, and your eye is hostile toward your poor brother, and you give him nothing. Then he may cry to Yahweh against you, and it will be sin in you. In other words, it's October of the sixth year, and he needs $5,000, and you're like, man, he is not paying that back in two months. <laughs> right? So you choose not to give. Hi, Reuben. Chooses not to give. <laughs> Possibly. So you choose not to give because you know that you're going to come out on the short end of the stick there. Notice what he originates that too. There's a base thought in your heart that you end up being hostile towards them. And notice that it will be sin. Pretty important. Notice after that, verse 10, you shall generously give to him and your heart shall not be grieved when you give to him because for this thing, Yahweh, your Elohim will, what's it say? He will bless you. Again, remember, what is the worldly flaw of God's commands here? It is contingent upon the blessing of God. The blessing of God is what makes all of this harmonious. Uh, Let's say it this way. The blessing of God is the oil that makes the machinery spin. If you're not getting the blessing of God, everything's going to rust up and stall. So notice, by obeying this, by recognizing that you can have a gracious heart towards your brother in Christ because the Lord will bless you for that type of approach and attitude, you don't have anything to worry about. Does everybody see how by obeying God it eliminates stress? Now, I know that none of us in here have ever stressed over finances or income or any of that stuff. We've never, we've never had issues where we've looked at the bank account and went, yeesh, right? We've never had, you know, our great friend's Visa and MasterCard knocking on our door. You know, but when we end up in those types of situations, and we're sitting here thinking about the promise of God, obeying God, has he not, has he not told us in the New Testament? Of course, we're not Old Testament Israel. Has he not told us in the, in the, in the, excuse me, in the New Testament that by freely giving, not under compulsion, but as a cheerful giver, he will supply all of our needs in Christ Jesus. That's a promise. Second Corinthians nine sitting right there. Honor him. And it's conditional. Honor him. We will not like him blessing. How about the next part? Uh, notice it says, sorry, Yahweh will bless you in all your work and in all your undertakings. Notice, not in all your sitting around and doing nothing and whining and complaining about it. That's not where God blesses. You keep applying yourself to work through the situation. Remember, he's talking to an entire nation. But he says here, if you continue to work in all your undertakings, he will bless you. Verse 11, for the poor will never cease to be in the land. Therefore, I command you saying, you shall freely open your hand to your brother to your needy and poor in your land. And why is that? Because the poor are given in a society oftentimes as a test. It is a test. Will you trust that the Lord will bless you because you're willing to step forward and to help this person who's in need? So with those 11 verses, are there any questions about that before we trudge forward looking from 12 to 23? I've actually got... Uh, prepared all the way up to verse 8 of the next chapter, but we start getting into feasts and sacrifices there. Yes, sir? Just have a comment. It's like, if they would have done this, Yes. their society would have been wonderful. Yes. You know? And that's the point. Yeah, it would have been would have been just fantastic. Yes, yes. Remember this. One of the great things that separates the church from Israel is the idea that Israel was to be a lighthouse in the midst of a, of a swamp, essentially is what it was. 
Israel was to be a nation who obeyed God, and because they obeyed God, God's character would radiate out of them, and it would attract and draw the nations. We see that in Deuteronomy 4, verses 6 through 9, okay? What makes the church different is the church is a sending out rescue mission society of people that is transnational. It's not just a nation of people. We are transnational from every tongue and tribe and nation, and our call is to go out, and those are one of the greatest differences why the church and Israel are two separate things. Seeking to promote the goodness of God to everyone, the grace of God to everyone, but two different methods in order to do it. And you're right, if they just would have obeyed this, how vibrant that society would have been. Absolutely. In fact, here's an interesting thing to think about. Does everybody remember when Israel goes into captivity into Babylon? Everybody remember that? The kings are all dwindling down. Everybody's ruling terribly, doing what's right in their own eyes, and it's just awful, and you're always judging them. And it's interesting to see that they are in captivity for 490 years exactly. Does anybody know why they were in captivity for 490 years exactly? Explain it. I just remember um, the guy who wanted to build, rebuild Jerusalem or rebuild the wall. Okay. Uh, he went to... I don't remember the guy's name, and I don't remember the king, but he said, Hey, king, dude, I, I, can, I can't say I can keep serving you. Nehemiah. I'm depressed. Thank you. Yep. Uh, I'm depressed. I'm frustrated. Mm -hmm. uh, king asked him, Hey, dude, why are, why are you so down? Mm -hmm. And he said, uh, Well, this is... There's... Um, there's terrible things happening to my people, and I need to go back and build... Uh, right. Rebuild the city. Right. And he went back to rebuild, and the the king's men are saying, "Hey, we can't let them do this." Right. Because they're gonna they're gonna real they're, they're gonna uh, start rebelling against your rule and start serving their god. Hmm. And and the Lord moves upon the king's heart, King yeah. Artaxerxes, and he lets says, him go. Do whatever you need to do. Come back. Is it Artaxerxes? Ready. I think it is Artaxerxes. Uh, was that I don't remember. I don't remember. And, was, uh, and then Nehemiah starts but, putting it all together that, hey, wait a minute. Yes. This, uh, this is the amount of time that's been happening, uh, that's uh, elapsed. Yes, but why the captivity? You're right. That's the release from the captivity. But why the captivity of that time? See, here's what's interesting. Not only was the Sabbath year given to the idea of, well, somebody owes you something and then you forgive debt. Yeah. But they were also commanded to work the land for six years and give a Sabbath to the land. Let the land just lie. You don't oh, plant or you don't gather that's anything. That's what it was. They hadn't let the land, the land rest. So they had never let God the said. land rest as God commanded yep. in all the time that they'd been in the so land. said to, what was it, 10 years for every? No, it was it was the exact amount. Okay. Huh. Well, sorry, they were in there for for 70 years was yeah. the idea of captivity. Yeah. Uh, but because they had not done it for every seven years over a 490-year span, yeah. they had seven one year of Sabbath rest. And that way, the land of Israel rested for one year according to everyone that they didn't give to them. And it was very important why they did that because <laughs> when you let the land go... It had an opportunity to replenish itself so you'd have good crops and everything, but also whatever grew of itself out of what they had planted before, all of the poor, all of the widows, all of the orphans were able to come and take of their fill of that and nobody was to hinder them and it was to care for them. Mm -hmm. By continually planting the land, they were showing that they didn't trust what God said. It was going to be by their own power and not by his spirit. Mm -hmm. So that's very, very important for us to, 
to, to recognize God is very serious about these types of stipulations he put on because he wanted to project something. And when he didn't have the opportunity because of willful disobedience in order to project what he wanted to, he made sure that discipline was in play for his people to correct them. And so that's the reason why they were in captivity for 70 years out of, out of Babylon. Very good. So, Sorry for all the dudes. What's that? Sorry for all the dudes. That's okay. You, you, you say dude a lot. I'm, I'm sure it's in the Hebrew somewhere, but whatever. You're good. Verse 12. If your kinsman, a Hebrew man or woman, and notice kinsman, the idea is your brother, okay, is sold to you, then he shall serve you six years, but in the seventh year you shall set him free. Now immediately we come upon this idea of slavery. Notice it's not just about economic wealth and loans and you owe me money and that type of thing. It's the idea that someone who is a Jew has found themselves in such poverty to where they can no longer still live and pay their debt. Now this is extremely interesting. Because what we, the choice that we would make in our situation is, well, that's easy. I'll just let the debt go into default so that I can still live. Notice that the, that the proposition here is the idea of, no, you pay the debt. And if need be, you put yourself under the servitude of the person that you owe in order for the debt to be repaid. Now, this is very different. This takes it out of just the money cycle and starts to get in the situation where somebody's very life is on the line. I mean, think here. Ask yourself the question: You've got somebody who's who's in, a, in an impoverished state. They owe money to somebody for you know whatever. You want to say I owe Rory money, and I have no way to pay it. And so I choose to let Rory know I'm not going to pay you whatsoever. <laughs> What's on the line then? What's the consequence of that? Do we know? You're saying according to the text, or right now? Well, I'm saying I'm saying according to the text, it's found a little bit later on. You'd, you'd be an indentured servant to me, essentially. I'm saying that I'm not willing to do that. Oh, I see. Like, even as an indentured servant to you, I'm not willing to work to repay the debt. I'm being obstinate in my heart. You know what that would probably bring about? Death. Death. Which is just how serious it was. It was no longer, well, this person needs this bill. i got to get this check in the mail and get it out to them. It was, I am in servitude under this person, and if I don't work this out... My life will be required of me. Now, that's, that's important because of what we're going to see here in just a minute. So notice it can trickle down to even people. But after six years, what happens? Freedom. The, the person who becomes the indentured servant is set free. Verse 13. When you set him free, you shall not send him away empty-handed. Uh-oh. You don't know the problems this guy's caused me. Are you serious? I'm supposed to care for him and give him some crackers to boot? I'm not doing that. Verse 14, you shall furnish him liberally. From where? Well, notice, number one, from your flock. So you're supposed to give him some animals to go with him from the sheep and the goats. And from your threshing floor. Well, there's some grain. There's some wheat. So I got to give him some food for some sustenance there. And from your wine vat. Oh, no. Don't give him the good stuff. Can you imagine? Yeah, notice that. Notice that. End of the wedding stuff. Yeah. I got some Pinot de Grigio or whatever that stuff is. Give him, give him 10 bottles on his cart and send him off. Good grief. You see, I mean, think about it. Though, from, from this, this part of your livelihood that you consider dear, your flock, give him a portion. 
From your grain, give him a portion. From your wine, wine was an incredibly precious commodity back then. No, give him a portion. Give it to him freely. Isn't that totally different than, say, you know, back in, well, 1500s, 1600s in, in England, early, early America? Prison? You couldn't pay your debt, you went to prison. Yeah. You worked it off there. Yeah. Well, you basically just sat there and did nothing. Yeah. <laughs> Got sick. Yes. That's one of the greatest things about Israel's economy. There are no jails. There are no prison systems. You don't follow the rules. Eventually, if you push it to the point, you die. Yeah, there, there are consequences for certain actions and you get to live. There's death for a lot of consequences or as a consequence for a lot of other things that you would do that would be considered the more heinous crimes. And when we read through, God's very clear. Purge the evil from your midst. This is a behavior that is not to be acceptable. So there was, there was no tolerance for that type of situation because God's word was the authority. It, it was against the parents and uh, cursing your parents was punishable by death. Yes. And it was interesting because the elders of the city, <laughs> the elders of the city would actually stone the child. Now, granted, the child was going to be older. But what they're seeing is, is the streak is such in the way of the child's life that the child is not going to come into compliance. And so it's an extreme measure. But, yeah, they would actually put the child to death. They would actually stone the child to death because of persistent, obstinate disobedience to their parents. They just didn't play back then. You know, and you know, you've got a lot of people would say, well, and I've noticed this, it's usually if, if this grandmother's grandfathers, I don't want to step on your toes, uh, but it's usually grandmothers and grandfathers that look at parents and say, well, you're just so hard on your child type of thing like that. You know, well, why are you being so, so difficult with them? That kind of thing, you know, not recognizing that just a generation before they were being hard on us. You know, if we had any sort of respect for authority in our lives, somehow it got softened over the ages, you know. But I guarantee you, when you find uh, healthy but sound discipline in the home, you end up producing an adult uh, that, that is that is not a disappointment. Let's just say it that way. I, th I think that's what we see, and that's why discipline in the home is so important. So moving back to this. So notice, from, from your flock, from your threshing floor, from your wine, you shall give to him as Yahweh your Elohim has blessed you. In other words, God's relationship and grace to them is the model for how a servant is to be free. Now, immediately when you think about being freed and God's model of that, what event do you think about in the Old Testament? The Exodus. The Exodus. In fact, look where the next verse goes. You shall remember, verse 15, that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and Yahweh your Elohim redeemed you. Therefore, I command you this day. How did God set them free? Does everybody recognize that when God set them free, there were no stipulations? There were no stipulations put on they them. Even fought him on it. They, they fought him a little bit on it, yeah. But, but notice, the angel of death is passing over. Here's the blood. You apply the blood freely supplied for you. Death will pass over and you will be set free. And they got set free the next day. And they didn't even receive the law until after they had already left Egypt for so many days. You see what I'm saying? There was no stipulation put upon them. You know, well, you better obey me. And that, that conditional aspect of that relationship was not into play whatsoever. And if you remember, you go back to Exodus and you think it through. If you remember, what one grand thing they did before they walked out of Egypt was they plundered the Egyptians. That was huge. All they had to do was ask. All they had to do was ask, and God gave Israel favor in the Egyptian sight. Well, remember how you were set free? God put no stipulation or requirement on you, and he richly gave to you so that you walked out and could prosper? Well, there's your model. 
There's your model for how you set a person free who was indentured to you because they had a debt they needed to pay that you've been able to forgive. So notice, it's not just a, let's have a clean slate, mercy, forgiveness type of thing. It is a grace forgiveness type of thing. And real quick, if you want the if you want the, the scripture for that, Exodus 12 verses 35 and 36 is where that takes place. I told you guys that we'd move more straight forward in Deuteronomy and not jump all around the text. We're going to do that next week, I promise you. But but I'm trying to, trying to get us along uh, a little bit quicker. So verse 16. It shall come about if he says to you, I will not go out from you because, pay attention to this, he loves you. And your household, since he fares well with you. Now, stop for just a second. Because there's so many people that want to condemn the Bible because they say that it promotes slavery, an acceptable form of slavery. And because it's it's promoted an acceptable form of slavery, that is saying automatically that the 17th and 1800s of America are fueled into this automatically. And therefore, it's the same type of slavery that took place in America. Now, that is something where we are reading more recent events into the text when they had no bearing. And this verse right here, verse 16, automatically dismantles that entire argument. Because here's what it tells you. Let's read it one more time. It shall come about if he says to you, the person who owes you money, your servant, I will not go out from you because he loves you and your household since he fares well with you. Notice, that tells you that there's obviously some sort of contentment that's possible in that situation. Does everybody see that? He's being treated well. He's being treated well. Notice that his needs are met. Notice that his life is good. I mean, think about it. The seventh year has come up, and essentially what's happened is, is the door has been opened and said, I'm going to give you a portion of all of this right here to bless you as you go out because the Lord has promised to bless me and he blessed us all when we were set free. So you go out and can you imagine the person looking at the stuff, looking out to where they're going to go and say, I have everything I need right here. Mm-hmm. I have no reason to go. And that's a real benefit to the person that he's a servant to. It is a benefit to the person. But no, yeah, absolutely. But notice what it says. Because he, what's it say? Well, you. Notice it's not just a good economic decision. It's not, well, this is just a really, really good thing for my family. It may be all those things, but the fact is, is that an affectionate relationship has developed between the servant and the head of the household. Does everybody see that? That's just revolutionary, man. That's just unbelievable to think about that idea. Now, here's what's interesting. Notice that there's some sort of... Um, Legal ceremony that shores this idea up. So look at 17. Then you shall take an awl. And essentially what an awl is, it's an ice pick, is essentially what it is. And pierce it through his ear into the door, and he shall be your servant forever. Everybody see that? Also, you shall do likewise to your maidservant. So notice, man, woman, doesn't matter. If they, because of a love relationship with you, want to stay, then you pierce their ear And essentially, they were tagged at that moment as having ownership by the head of the household. Now, here's what else is interesting about this. Notice that this is a free will choice. I think that's so important to understand. And I'm going to go ahead and draw the parallel to this, and and Lordship Salvation people will go nuts about this. They're like, that's blasphemy. But think about this. You come to faith in Jesus Christ. You recognize that your sins have been completely forgiven. Faith plus Jesus equals what? Works. 
No. Salvation. Eternal life. Yes. Works are going to be something that should be taking place afterwards. What's amazing about salvation is that once we are redeemed, could we go off if we wanted? Yeah. I mean, I think we have a lot of evidence that there are plenty of Christians who did. And it never negated their relationship with the Father. It messed up their fellowship with the Father real bad. But it never negated the relationship that was established. Because a debt was forgiven, it was freely paid in full, the person was set free. But what's interesting is, is this concept in 16 and 17 is the imagery that is behind the New Testament word doulos. And doulos is a bond slave, is what that means. If you ever see the, the translation bond servant or bond slave in your translation, it's the idea of someone who because of deep affection for their master is willing to stay and continue to be a role, play a role in the household in order for the betterment of themselves and the betterment of the whole. That's really interesting. So it's the idea of, of a disciple is what this is, is what this pictures in, in church terms. Verse 18. It shall not seem hard to you when you set him free. Uh-oh, there goes Moses getting after our attitudes again. For... He has given you six years with double the service of a hired man. So Yahweh your Elohim will bless you in whatever you do. But this guy is such a good worker. Why would I let him go? It's been six years. Well, it's because God said to let him go. Now notice it says you've gotten double the work out of him than a hired hand. Hired hand shows up, punches the time card, punches out, goes home. They get a wage. Yes. The servant who's indentured, is with you all the time, constantly serving, making their livelihood there. And because their life is on the line, like we talked about it earlier, I mean, what, what is to default to if you don't have any finances and you're indentured to this person? It's your life. That's the only thing you've got that's worth anything. It's left. Well, because of that, they're making sure that they're doing an extra good job in order to get this debt paid. Who knows? They may pay it off before the seventh year comes up. But even if they don't, they have much more incentive to work than just dollars and cents. Well, that's the thrust behind this right here. Notice the Lord your God, Yahweh your Elohim, will bless you in whatever you do. Again, the deciding factor in the, at the core of all of this is the blessing of God being in the mix. Verse 19, you shall consecrate. Now, real quick, this word right here is kodash in the Hebrew, and it's very similar to the Hebrew word kadosh. Kadosh means holy. Kodash means to set apart or to sanctify. So there's not much difference in it whatsoever. Uh, it's just a different flavoring that's put on there. But the idea is a consecration, a setting apart. You shall consecrate to Yahweh your Elohim all the firstborn males that are born of your herd and of your flock. You shall not work with the firstborn of your herd, nor shear the firstborn of your flock. Now, real quick, if there were any firstborn that were considered of human progeny, the idea was that they were to be set aside and dedicated to the Lord, much like we see that Samuel is at the beginning of 1 Samuel, uh, but dedicated for the Lord's purposes. Possibly ministry, yes, but essentially it's still a dedication to him as firstborn. Uh, it says here, verse 20, you and your household shall eat it every year before Yahweh your Elohim in the place where Yahweh chooses. So notice you've gone back to the celebration language that we had at the end of chapter 14. And it also picks back up by the use of the word place, the theology of sacred spaces. 
the fact that God is going to set a place in geography where his name is to be praised and where worship is to happen around that. And that is the place that you go to in order to worship. It says in verse 21, But if he has any defects, such as lameness or blindness, or any serious defect or any serious blemish is the, is the uh, uh, marginal note, you shall not sacrifice it to Yahweh your Elohim. You shall eat it within your gates, the clean and the unclean alike may eat it, as a gazelle or a deer. So in other words, if it's blemished, you can still have it for a meal, but it's not what you bring to this sacrifice celebration that God is going to determine for himself. And again, that's running back to what occurred at the end of 14. It says here, verse 13, only you shall not eat its blood. You are to pour it out on the ground like water. Does anybody remember why you never eat the blood of the animal? The life is in the blood. We see that in Genesis chapter 4, whenever God comes to Cain and says, what have you done? Your brother's blood is crying out from the ground. And you also see whenever Noah comes off the ark in Genesis 9, and the idea that, that the life for a life type of thing, and that you now, you now may eat meat. Everybody was an herbivore up until that time. Now they can be carnivores. But you shall not eat the meat, or you shall not eat the meat with the blood inside of it, because in the blood is the life. And this is why it explains a lot about looking forward to what the atonement was in Christ on the cross. So I want to look at one more thing. Uh, the reason, number one, the reason why they were to bring blameless animals to sacrifice is because that was the animal of highest value that they had in their situation. It was young, it was strong, uh, there was no defect whatsoever. It cost them something. But notice, because they walked through with obedience and it costing them something, it had a return of God's blessing. Again, the whole thing centers in on the blessing of God. Take your, take your Bible real quick and turn back to Leviticus, Leviticus 22. I want to look at it real quick and then we'll close out. Leviticus 22. And this just gives you some parameters on the nature of animal sacrifice and what God requires. This may be old hat for some of you and that's okay. Uh, but I think it's still good for us to, to read through. Leviticus 22. Verse 17 is where we're going to start. Leviticus 22, 17. It says, Then Yahweh spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to Aaron and his sons, and to all the sons of Israel, and say to them, Any man of the house of Israel or of the aliens in Israel who presents his offering whether it is any of their votive or any of their free will offering, which they present to Yahweh for a burnt offering, for you to be accepted, it must be a male without defect from the cattle, the sheep, or the goats. In other words, it must be of the highest quality that you are offering. Now stop. Was not Jesus Christ of the highest quality of an offering? Yes, he was. Sinless perfection on the cross for us. Now, I think it's important to recognize, don't lose sight of the idea of what was involved in the burnt offering. Does everybody see that at the end of verse 18? The burnt offering was the idea of where you would actually skin the animal and you would roast them for a 24-hour period nonstop. That's the idea of a burnt offering unto the Lord. It's, excuse me, <clears throat> It's the type of offering that Abraham is called upon to do with Isaac whenever he calls him to Mount Moriah, to offer your son, your only son, as a burnt offering unto me. Take the child, skin him 
first kill him with a with a with a dagger or a knife, skin him, and then roast him thoroughly for twenty four hours unto me. That's that's the serious weight and nature of just how grueling that sounds. Well, let's not lose sight of all that's entailed. This wasn't just like, all right, let's sacrifice it and go out to eat a pizza ranch. That's not how this thing went down. It wasn't flippant. Verse uh, 20. Whatever has a defect you shall not offer, for it will not be accepted for you. When a man offers a sacrifice of peace offerings to Yahweh to fulfill a special vow or for a freewill offering of the herd or of the flock, it must be perfect to be accepted. There shall be no defect in it. Those that are blind or fractured or maimed or having a running sore or eczema or scabs, you shall not offer Yahweh, nor make of them an offering by fire on the altar to Yahweh. In respect to an ox or a lamb, which has an overgrown or stunted member, you may present it for a freewill offering, but for a vow, it will not be acceptable or accepted. Also, anything with its testicles bruised or crushed or torn or cut, you shall not offer to Yahweh or sacrifice in the land. The reason is, is because God takes the reproductive system very, very seriously. It says here, nor shall you accept any such from the hand of a foreigner for offering as the food of your Elohim, for their corruption is in them. They have a defect. They shall not be accepted for you. So why would it be why would it be um, prohibitive of a foreigner to come in? Well, chances are with a foreigner coming in, they worship another god. And if they worship another god bringing that situation in there, they probably have very diminished standards. In fact, I would say that if they're running from a carnal nature uh, or running out of, carnal motivations and nature is like well let's get rid of the stuff it's not worth very much and give that to our god and that way we keep all the stuff and that's the means of getting rich and having prosperity and wealth notice that that type of attitude number one besides being devoid of the creator doesn't allow for any place for blessing there's no obedience in that whatsoever there's no cost involved and if there's no cost involved there's no gaping hole of which god shows up and fills with blessing and otherwise this whole system is motivated on the idea of operating by faith all of it is. When we operate by faith, blessing comes, period. That's the whole general stimulus through this whole thing. So, are there any questions about all this before we close it up? That's chapter 15. I had a thought on verse 24. Go for it. Part of it, you know, with the, the reproductive system is if it's a male, its values and its ability to reproduce. Yes. It, if, you re, if you kept it and it didn't have a good reproductive system, you might as well just eat it because that's all it's good for. Exactly. Exactly. And I would say that if it's the best of your flock and before Yahweh, you decide to keep it otherwise, he'll make sure and spoil that reproductive system for you as a disciplinary measure. So, yeah, I completely agree with you. Absolutely. Good observation. Everybody good? All right. Uh, let's pray. Father, we uh, come before you. Uh, and uh, though we're not Israel and though we don't live under the law, we have any of those commandments for ourselves. Uh, we do recognize that obedience to the law of Christ brings about blessing. And Father, you desire that for every one of our lives because it is the best thing that could possibly happen with us. Thank you, God, for being merciful and giving us your word to teach us and to train us and to warn us and to encourage us uh, towards complete fidelity with you. It's in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you, everyone.